Good afternoon, everyone. What a beautiful day, huh? You know, what a great uh, day it was yesterday. Very thankful. I got to uh, work there at the Wilmington Middle School. We have a new principal there. She was just effusive at how happy she was of everybody coming out and helping beautify her school and then all the projects we did around the South Bay. I got a chance to work there at the Wilmington Middle School and then go out to Arcadia there for an hour and be with the kids. That was powerful. Uh, Talk about, uh, you know, you had families of two, three, four children and they really wanted to adopt them as, you know, get them adopted as a package. So imagine uh, the odds dropping right there of getting adopted and the kids were just amazing. Um, you know, it just really makes you thankful for what God has given you. It makes you thankful for your own family that you grew up in or the family that you currently are leading. Um, but uh, really, I was so proud of the Christians. And I just want to say a special thank you to uh, Eric Flores and Ana Bermeja, who ran the whole thing. If they can go ahead and stand up. I don't know where Ana is. Do you know where I think Ana She's in Kids Kingdom serving uh, as well. But uh, that was really, really special. And thank you guys. What, a, what an amazing time. And I look forward to it, doing that again. You know, we're, uh, last year we had themes every month so that we could help you, help us kind of not just hear something once, but hear it over and over again from different angles and get a chance to really absorb these themes in our hearts. And so we're kicking off our new theme uh, this year on community service this month, where the theme is anyone can be great. And, uh, you know, when you think of greatness and the term of being great, it's usually about yourself. And yet Jesus always turns everything on its head. I mean, he turns it over. What Jesus says is great is very different than what the world says is great. And so this whole month, we're going to be preaching all the different ministers about community service. And some of you are awesome at this. Others of you, like myself, we need to grow. And so for those of you that are great at it, please don't look down on us. We're trying. We're working on it. Help help us. We're going to go after it. I think it's going to be a great uh, time, not just today, uh, but a great time as I share some things that we're going to be doing as a church. You know, the title of the lesson is entitled Great Opportunities. Great Opportunities. And typically when you hear that statement, hey, I got this great opportunity, usually you think it's about money. Well, what is it? Well, if you get in on the ground floor right here, let me tell you, you're the second person I'm telling about this. You know, usually we think it's again about us. How is this going to help me? And yet again, Jesus is so different. What he says will make you great is opposite of what the world says. And today we're going to Hear the word preached. I'm going to play uh, a passage on my iPod for you to listen to from the Message Bible. So we're going to have to concentrate there for a minute. But we're going to learn what Jesus says it means to be great. You know, the uh, Martin Luther King, one of his famous quotes is, Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And I know we agree with that. But Jesus is going to ask us here in a little bit, Will we live like that? And that is a challenge, and yet that is where life is so fulfilling. You know, so much of seeing the opportunities is having the right perspective. And how we view ourselves in the world really affects the impact we make on the world. Luke 17, 
verse 7, the Bible says, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper and get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Isn't that a challenging, just stopping right there, verse 9? Isn't that a challenging? I mean, there's a part of us that it rankles our pride. Hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not very nice. The Bible's kind of sifting our hearts. And he says, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And it's interesting because this passage right here is sandwiched into a passage about faith. And it's kind of odd. Like, why? what does this have to do with faith? I think it means that it takes faith to believe that if I had this kind of a posture, if I had this kind of a spirit on the inside, would I really be able to handle it? Would I really be who God wants me to be? Would I really be fulfilled? Because we're taught from a young age, assert ourselves. Get what you want. Take what you want. Force your will. Yes, serve others, but at the end of the day, it's got to benefit you some way. Jesus says, uh-uh. That's not the Christian life. And I really think that how we view ourselves in the world, of why we're here, will really affect how we, or if we, take advantage of the great opportunities that are all around us to be great the way God says. Isn't that a challenging passage? Yet that is the heart of a true follower of Jesus. I'm just here to serve. And sometimes I get a little something, sometimes I get less than something. It doesn't matter. I'm not looking for anything. And sometimes I want to, and other times I absolutely don't want to. But the heart of a true Christian is a slave and a servant. I live to meet the needs of all mankind. My rights are secondary. My rights are irrelevant to what God's will is. I'm thankful that we serve a gracious and loving and a pure God. But at the end of the day, we got to look. This is the mindset of someone that calls himself a follower of Jesus and that has faith. You know, as we look at our communities, there is so much opportunity in the community. And there's two communities that we interact in. We have the community here within the church. And that's a special community, right? I don't know about you, but any time I watch the slideshow, I felt it today. I felt it at our banquet. I thought, man, what a great church we're part of. What a great community. And you can look at the warts, and you can look at the quirks, and you can look at the weaknesses. Just move over so you're right in the mirror. Because everybody's got something, and everybody irritates somebody. It's just how we are. But you put that aside. That's just people. What a great community we get to be part of here in the church. And then we have the community in the world. People that are not part of God's church, that don't live for God's kingdom, that don't go by God's will, they go by their own agenda. That's the other community that we you know, interact with and are around. And there's so many opportunities in both communities. You know, um, there's a quote right here that I found. It says, four things come not back. One is the spoken word. Once you say something, you cannot take it back. 
You could say, I'm sorry, I take that back. You ever said that? I have. You really can't. It's, it's out there. It's, it's why the proverb says, reckless words pierce like a sword. You know, it, once it's out, it's out. Yeah, you can backtrack and apologize, but it's out. You can't, oh, hold on, let me put that back in. He says, that the spoken word, the sped arrow, you know, once you shoot an arrow, you can't go, hold on, let me grab it. It's gone. The past life, you can't do anything about the past. Once it's in the past, it's it. Can't do anything about it. And then the last one it says is, and the neglected opportunity. You know, when you look at the word compassion in the Bible, it means, or the word pity, both words, they interchange. And, and when you look at those two words, what they mean when you look at the original language in Greek is that you're moved in your organs, that you feel, you don't just, oh, it's so bad. It's not that you just feel sad or what a pit, oh, that's terrible. But you feel it down in your organs. You ever felt in your gut where you can, you feel hurt for somebody or something or it's, you feel it in your organs and it propels you, it compels you to take action, to do something about it. That's what the Bible defines as compassion, where you feel it so much in your innards, in your guts, that you've got to do something. And that's what we're going to talk about today is about compassion and what Jesus talks about, about compassion. Amen? Amen. You know, let's talk about the community and the church for a second before we get into our main text. It says in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, it's on the screen. You can write it down. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why would Paul have to say that? Because doing good makes you weary. There's sometimes I go to bed at night and I go, what a day. I am beat. And it was a full day. There's other times I go to bed at night and I'm like, what a day. I'm beat. You know, it wasn't such a good day, but it was a lot of effort and giving. And you do the same thing. But it takes a lot of effort to do good. A lot of energy. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if... We do not give up. Therefore, he's saying, because of that, as we have opportunity. When will we no longer have opportunity? When we're dead. Thank you. In fact, it says in, I think it's Ecclesiastes, better is a live dog than a dead lion. So, I'd rather be a live dog than a dead lion. Now, once you're gone, you're gone. It says in the Psalms that it's not the dead that praise you, God, but the living. And, and I think we have an opportunity. Our days are literally numbered. And he's saying, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially the family of the believers. Don't you feel a little bit special that you get a little extra TLC in the family of believers? And if you say, well, I'm not getting any right now. Well, that's right now. But over your, look at the whole picture. And you're probably just negative overall anyway. But it's true. Because you look at the, you look at the whole picture of how many people that you can't even remember have counseled you, comforted you, called you, challenged you, came and sat with you, cared for you, Asked you questions about your upbringing. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Just how many people over the years have done good to you 
that are part of the family of believers. Not perfect, but good. And the Bible says, let's do good to all people, especially the family of believers. And then we've got the community in the world. What does the Bible say here? 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. It says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. What does that mean? That we don't belong on this earth. We're just passing through, as the song says. We're just visiting. This isn't our destination point. This is just what we're here, but our destination point is in heaven. That is the goal. That is what we're aiming towards. That is what the scripture says we're looking forward to, the heavenly calling. But the Bible says, as aliens and strangers, people that are just here temporarily, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify God. You know, I thought about this a lot. You know, when the Bible calls us that we're the light of the world, what does that mean? Is it just that living a righteous life stands out different? Yes, it does. But I don't think it's just a righteous life. It's a righteous life and righteous deeds. Because there's some people that don't know whether you live a righteous life or not. They don't even really know you. You've never had an interpersonal conversation, or you have, but they've never, they don't really have an intimate friendship. They don't know you. So they don't know whether you live a righteous life or not. But everybody can see righteous deeds. Because it's different. And then they can get to know your life as well. And so we have these two communities. One is says, let's do good to all people, but especially the family of believers. And the other says, let's live a life abstaining from sin, but more importantly, that they could see our good deeds and glorify God. That's why you are the way you are, is what people would say when they see our good deeds. Here, we're going to go through our text right here in Matthew 25. So flip over to Matthew 25. I'm going to play uh, my iPod for 2 minutes and 11 seconds. So I uh, get distracted rather easy. So my mind could wander multiple times in that full two minutes. For those of us that do as well, just hang tight. It's, it's not the NIV version, so if you follow along in the NIV, it's Matthew 25, verse 31. And I'd like you to close your eyes and listen to the Scripture and imagine it. Imagine Judgment Day, because this passage is about Judgment Day. And imagine Jesus talking to you. Amen? So can we focus those two minutes and 11 seconds? Okay, here we go. The sheep and the goats. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? 
When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry, and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was homeless, and you gave me no bed. I was shivering, and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them. I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. The story of the virgins, chapter 25. God's kingdom is like ten... What a challenging passage, huh? And you know, we see right here the sheep and the goats. If you even notice, the goat looks a little bit depressed. Sheep does not look a whole lot happier, but the eyes are not as droopy. <clears throat> Why did Jesus use this parable? Of the sheep and the goats. Well, uh, back in uh, ancient days, in, in Bible times, they would shepherd the sheep and the goats together through the pastures. And then a shepherd would get up on top of a fence and they'd have them kind of walk down just like they do today, down a little uh, uh, alley of fences. And he'd sit up there and he'd close the fence one way if it was a sheep and another way if it was a goat. Because from afar, they all looked the same. Could you see how that could happen? But up close, very different. And we all know that they both provide different things. You know, a sheep, what you harvest from a sheep is very different than what you harvest from a goat. And so they would sort them, but they couldn't sort them until they got up close. To where the shepherd was sitting right there on the fence, and he'd see which one's coming, and he'd just close the fence that way, and he'd go that way, and he'd close the fence that way, and he'd close the fence that way, and he'd sort them out. And so the Bible, Jesus is calling us, to say, hey, I don't want to know what you look like in the herd. I want to know what you look like up close. And even though you might look like the sheep, I want to make sure. You know, a lot of times, and this is a very challenging passage. You know those little warning signs? Hazardous, this could start a fire or hazardous. Hazardous, this passage could make you very uncomfortable. Stir you. Challenge me a lot. And I don't believe that if you do these things, then you're saved. That's not what gives you salvation. It's Jesus' blood that saves you. It's faith in Jesus that saves you. It's repenting that saves you. It's being baptized in the name of Jesus. It's His blood that saves us. But a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the Bible teaches here, in, in one of the many judgment stories, this is one of them, a pretty significant one. About saying, okay, all together, sheep and goats, up close, let's really see. It really challenges me a lot. 
You know, um, it's interesting, the word opportunity, it's a old uh, sh- sailing term where we got the English word opportunity. And what would happen is, in the, uh, long ago, there were no, before we could dredge harbors. You know, you dredge a harbor so a ship that is really big can go into shallow water because they make it deeper. But before they would do that, before they had that technology of dredging and built harbors, ships would wait out in the, in the wings. And they'd wait, and the captain and the crew would be waiting for just the right moment when the tide would come in. And the Latin word is ob, obportu. That's where we got the word, the English word opportunity. O-B-P-O-R-T-U. Two words. And it meant, now's the time. Time to come into port. Because they just had the moment where the, t- the tide would rise, and then they'd take the ship right on in. And then take it out. And we have this opportunity, this right moment, that God um, could use us in such a great way. But we've got to be waiting and looking and be ready to meet the needs that Jesus talks about. What a, tr- what a challenging passage this is to me. You know, God is calling us to account for how we're using our opportunity. Right now, many, not all of you, have very good health. Someday you won't be able to say that. Um, right now, you know, you have a certain income. Someday you will not be able to say it. I mean, you just have these different opportunities that God has given you for this time in your life. Energy, intellect, tr- you know, talent, ability. And he's saying, how are you using it? How are you using this opportunity? And that's kind of what this passage is about. Jesus lists six needy conditions. Hunger, thirst, alienation, nakedness, sickness, imprisonment. This is not an exhaustive list, but it covers all of mankind's basic needs. You know, I'm so thankful that we have many in the congregation that are really, really good at this. Naturally, it's just very compassionate people. Appreciate uh, Betty and Katrina McKinley. Betty Collins, the sister that sings up here all the time. Uh, they went and done this adoption fair I didn't know till yesterday many times. I appreciate that. That's an upward call. I appreciate uh, Elaine Johnson who's run this program at, middle, at Wilmington Middle School for five years. Doesn't get paid a penny, doesn't? No one asked her, or no one said, you have to do this. We brought the idea to her, she took it, and she developed it way beyond our expectations. And I know Lana's went, and, and uh, Elaine's went, and many of you went to mentor kids, and I know many of you went to uh, prepare them for the STAR testing, like to teach them on how to even take a test and prepare them. I know math tutoring's taking place. I know reading tutoring's taking place. Uh, the Christmas part, I mean, a lot of different things. I just want to say thank you. That's a real upward call. That's the right thing to do. And uh, God is pleased when we're living that way. You know, I, this is something I need to grow in. Uh, last, uh, so I'm excited. Once a month, I'm determined. Uh, with the singles, we're going to once a month, we're going to serve the poor. Do something. I wanna ch- I'm praying, God, change this in my character. Make me more sensitive and aware of all types of people's needs. You say, which is more important, their physical needs or their spiritual needs? Both. Which one should I do? Both. Which one is this passage talking about? Both. You can look at each one of those needs and spiritually people are in prison, jail, and so on and so forth. Naked, they need God. But it's not one or the other and some of us are better at one than the other. God calls us to have both. To be balanced in both. Amen? You know, I I look at this passage and I think what stands out to me 
is uh, when the first crew, the sheep, he says, they say, Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you in prison? And it's interesting because they were doing, meeting these needs regardless of who it was. And it really challenged me. I'll never forget, this was about 15 years ago. I was in San Diego at the time, a minister there. And a young minister and my supervisor minister, the best friend of mine, training me to be an evangelist, he came to meet me at the airport. And there was a young sister there, maybe in her early 20s, who Michelle and I met and helped become a Christian. She was our downstairs neighbor. We moved into an apartment complex in North San Diego. We prayed, God, help us find someone in the complex to become a Christian. And Holly downstairs became a Christian. And I'll never forget because I was at the airport. Steve came to pick me up. Holly just happened to be at the airport at the same time. And I, and I, I hey, Holly, how's it going? And then Steve came in. Hey, Steve, how's it going? And all right, Holly, got to go. And I, she's like, okay, bye. And I walked up and Steve walked up. Is that Holly? Yeah. Does she have a ride? Oh, she'll be fine. Yeah, I think so. I think she's fine. You ready? No, hold on. Let's go find out. And I was just, it was a, such a life lesson for me. That because Steve was important or more important to me, I was more involved and interested in that conversation, leaving with him, and totally ignored someone who I really loved, who we helped become a Christian, younger person, our neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I... I was more interested in someone that was more important in my mind at the moment. And I learned a strong lesson at that time. And it's interesting because when you look at this passage, hey, when did we see you, Jesus, like that? And I love the fact that the sheep met needs of those, it says that in the Message Bible, were overlooked and ignored. Because, you know, when it's somebody important, most all of us tune in. Hey, hey, well, let me help you out. Hey, what, are you okay? What can I do? Hey, we, we kind of just change. But when it's someone unimportant, we can look at him and say, oh, that's so sad. We can look at him and say, well, somebody needs to do something and walk off. Or we can look at him and just look right through him. I've done that. You ever done that? Didn't even see him. Okay, two of us have done that, bro. Let's work on it together, okay? You and me. But I love the fact that even though they didn't realize it was Jesus... They served. And they gave. Because I believe anybody in this room, if they knew that was Jesus right there, they'd go help him out. Maybe the, maybe he'll hook me up a little bit. On judgment day, I want the gate to swing my way, you know? I mean, it's easy to give to someone that you think's really important. But what about those that are overlooked and ignored? Then what posture do you take? Then what heart? Then what priority? What a challenge. The other group, he said the same thing, the goats. Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you sick? Meaning that, if they knew it was him, what? We would have we helped you out. Why didn't you tell us? Of course we would have. And the whole point was Jesus says, no, I want you to care about everybody. And you can't do something for everybody in the world, but you can do something for the person that's right there before you. Amen? You know, there are opportunities everywhere. What a challenging passage to the fact where he says, 
those goats on judgment day, he says, you're out of here. You, I'm going to send you, I'm cursing you, you're going to hell. Isn't that kind of, don't you want to soften that a little bit? I do. That's okay. Oh, Jesus, take it easy. I mean, was that big of a deal? I mean, come on, just take it easy. No, there's a reason Jesus used such strong imagery, such strong language. That's how much he cares about people. And I really think even deeper, it's an issue of how you see yourself. Back to the beginning. When you see yourself as, I'm just here to serve and give, that is a Christian. That's how a Christian lives. When you don't see yourself that way, then you take the attitude of the goats of, hey, if I knew that that was somebody important, I would have absolutely came to the rescue. But because we don't sometimes think it's important, we then ignore. That's not the Christian. Amen? You know, opportunities are everywhere, so we must decide to care. That's the only thing I want you to walk away with today. Opportunities are everywhere. So we must decide to care. They're everywhere in the church. They're everywhere around the, in our world that we live in. Everywhere. You, you can say, well, I can never meet them all, so I'm not going to do anything. As soon as I solve one problem, a new leak spring, there's a new leak that springs. Yeah, that's not the attitude. God expects us to do what we can with where we're at. And I think we can do a lot. And I praise God for those that do a lot and give a lot. Opportunities are everywhere. So we must decide to care, to give our time, to give our talent, to give our treasure, to give our tenderness, and on and on and on. We know this passage that's on the screen. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. Let's just say it together, okay? It's James 4.17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. Let's just say it one more time because it felt good. I mean, anyone then who know the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. There are a few of you that weren't moving your mouth. That was, you were not following that passage. Let's try it. Let's try it one last time, okay? Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. See, why'd you say it three times? I felt bad at the first one. That's just one that you probably just memorized. This is the harder one. This, you know, that, hey, I should do something. I could. And this is where I get stuck. The land of good intentions. I'm thankful that the singles, we're going to serve the poor once a month. You say, why? Well, we need it. The community, we're going to do community service once a month. We need it. It's obvious the community needs it. I need it. I need to have some mechanism that's there to go do the good I want to do. Yesterday was a great tool that allowed me to do the good I wanted to do versus sins. You know, uh, last month I went and did the Red Cross mass care training. So if there's a disaster, you're going to see me in the t-shirt. I still haven't received it yet, though. And then the vest, they're going to give me the, the vest at the, at the um, disaster. It was very powerful. Uh, very, I'm really glad I did it. It was our second training. We're going to train all the singles that want to. I'm hoping we can get 80% to all be trained to be uh, disaster care relief workers. Because you know L.A. has disaster after disaster, after just just a matter of when, not if, and where. And we'll be trained to meet people's needs at that time of crisis. 
Opportunities are everywhere. So we must decide to care. You know, Matthew 10, verse 42, as we're getting ready to close out here, it says, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. You know, God wants to reward us. God wants us to, re- to reward us as we help people. Let's talk about the community in the world. Let's show some deeds of compassion. You say, I already am. Okay, for the rest of you, how about in our workplace? Let's turn the antennas up to show deeds of compassion in our neighborhood. Let's show some deeds of compassion. I'm convicted because I live around elderly people. Not a lot, but uh, quite a few. I mean, not all, but quite a few. And I've thought many times, I should go ask. Sometimes, you know, one guy's asked me to put his Christmas tree up top a couple times. It's kind of heavy. Um, I was trying to do it with my good shoulder, and I had to use my bad shoulder, and it ached for a little bit there. But, um, but I thought, you know, it would be really good for our family to just to let them know, hey, if you ever need anything, or if there's any, you know, there's five of us over here, we'd love to help. Never would impose. Please call. Here's our phone number. And then even ask. But I've thought that many times, and it's never gotten out of the land of good intentions. I knew the good I should do. Even it was a great idea, I thought. But it stopped right there. That's something I know we can do and I want to do. You know, how about your family, your extended family? Not just your family in the home, though that's a great way to show compassion, but you're just your extended family. Uh, the elderly, mentoring. I mean, we can go on and on and on. But I'm just trying to sensitize you to this sheep and the goats. Not just the, someone that's important, but the overlooked and the ignored. How about... The community in the church, showing deeds of compassion. And many of you have already done this, so I just stole your ideas to share with everybody. I just can't give you all credit right now. Mentoring. Taking one of the kids in the church and mentoring them academically or in life. I remember uh, uh, David Blanco met with uh, Devin Ketch, Sandy Ketch, who's a single parent. Her, her uh, son, just to help him in the Boy Scouts, to become an Eagle Scout, and then just help him in his character and his life. Just helping him become a man. And Devin's turned out to be a great young man. I appreciate that. But there's so many people that we could mentor. What's all that wisdom up in the gray matter for anyway? What's that life experience for? Offer yourself. Offering rides. Helping somebody with home repairs. Babysitting. Teens. Offering, hey, can I babysit your kids so you can go on a date? Because I know when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. (laughs) Is that true, ladies? Is it true? Any women in the church want a date? Any married women want to go on a date with their husband? Just raise your hand. Come on. Hold them high. Hold them high. See what I'm saying? Some of the teens are just like... I'm just saying. We don't like to ask. It's... Don't want to be selfish. Tutoring. Uh, Visiting when sick. And on and on and on. So many needs in the church. And some of you already do an amazing job at this. So you can just... This is one time you can legitimately tune me out. But I'm just trying to sensitize us. Sheep and goats. Look the same from afar. Hang together. But up close. Jesus looks up close. 
And he says, wait, wait. You didn't help me when I was this. You didn't help me when I was that. You didn't help me when I was in need. You didn't help. Yeah, when, when were you? No, no. Anytime you help anyone that's overlooked or ignored, you're helping me. I, love, I played that version because I loved even the reader. He says, you did it for me. And I think none of us would ever turn down Jesus. But we've got to be careful not to turn down others. You know, we're uh, in our community service projects in 2011. Hold on. You like that? Hey, easy, easy. There's one for, there's one for everyone, okay? Just hold tight. Um, the singles and teens, the singles and teens starting in February, we did our January project. Once a month, they're going to serve the poor. And I, you know, I'm proud of Danielle, my daughter, and uh, Alexis and Lena Kettering all go and do things with this teen group to serve the poor. Um, in Hawthorne and different places, they meet with, they meet with other teenagers that are uh, needy and they encourage them and then they go help with this uh, um, place in Hawthorne called Ridgestone where it's for children who are from a family that have been abused or high propensity for abuse. And Danielle's came home many times saying, Dad, I loved it. I wish I didn't have to leave. The, the little girl says, Danny, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come back? She goes, Dad, I could be there all day. But I, I appreciate some of the teens that are already doing that. But all the teens are going to do it once a month. And then the, um, the family ministry is going to, and the singles, I mean, once a month. And the family ministry, every other month, we're going to do something. Does that mean outside of the designated community service day, you can't help people out? No. But we're going to help you be intentional as we need to be intentional to do the good we want to do. Amen? I'm just going to close with this story right here. Uh, this is the Hope Diamond. As of 1985, it was, until 1985, it was the largest diamond in the world. It's from India. It's worth $350 million. It's in the Natural Museum of History in Washington, D.C. It's the fourth largest diamond in the world. But it's an interesting story. Uh, there was a, a man uh, named Ali Hafed who was from Persia, or from India, excuse me, uh, many centuries ago, and was a farmer. And he was a wealthy farmer who had great orchards, great flocks, great streams, uh, great crops, but he wanted more. And so one day another farmer said, you know, Ali, if you would just sell this farm, and he was already wealthy, if you would just sell this farm and go find a diamond mine, then you're going to really hit it big. And so Ali, who was already content till he listened to this guy, went to bed that night feeling poor because he was discontent. And, and so he sold his farm and he went all over the world to try to find a diamond mine that he could buy. And he became so poor, so broken, that eventually he felt so defeated that he committed suicide. Later on, the owner of the farm that he had sold was leading his camel into the garden to drink. And as the camel put its nose in the brook, the man saw a flash of light and pulled out a diamond. It wasn't this diamond, but it became the, the name of the, of, the, of the diamond mine in India is called the Golconda Diamond Mine, largest diamond mine in the world. Uh, in fact, diamond number one, I think, in the world, largest diamond, most valuable diamond. It says how much it's valued for can't even be estimated. It was found in this area where Ali Hafed had his farm, the Golconda Diamond Mine. And the Hope Diamond was found there and, and several others. 
What's the moral of the story? Had Ali remained at home and dug in his own garden, then instead going and experiencing death in a strange land, he would have had acres of diamonds. If you're not feeling content today, you've got to ask yourself, who am I living for? What am I living for? How am I living? Do I see myself as just an unworthy servant doing my duty, making my way from the fields to the kitchen with a great attitude? Do I see myself as one of the sheep that will meet anyone's needs? Not just those six, but anyone's needs. That's why I'm on this earth. The Bible teaches that, that when that's our spirit, then we truly are living like Jesus wants us to. We truly are content. We truly are fulfilled. And right there is the acres of diamonds. Right there is the opportunity. Amen? Let's take these things to heart. Let's go back and read Matthew 25, 31 to 46 and realize that opportunities are everywhere. So we must decide to care.